Welcome to Measures of Truth, a His Dark Materials podcast. We are going to be reading all of the books, watching the new show, and diving deep into the science, religion, and philosophy of Philip Pullman's story. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. I'm Anya. And in this, our inaugural episode, we're going to talk about how we're going to approach the podcast in terms of structure and spoilers. And we're also going to discuss the full-length trailer and casting for the upcoming BBC TV series. So first off, in the lead up to the show, we're going to prepare and get super hyped by reading through the first book, uh, The Golden Compass or Northern Lights, depending on whether you are in the U.S. or other markets. Uh, So before we all get all started, just like a quick intro discussion. When did we all first read the books? What are our thoughts on them? Why did we want to do this podcast, et cetera, et cetera? I feel like Alan should go since he's talked the least so far. All right. Uh, so I read these books when around like uh, beginning of college, uh, which I went to uh, Louisiana State University as an English major with a creative writing focus uh, because I wanted to be a fantasy author. And so when I read these books, I didn't really go to them in terms of like, I want some entertainment or these look like my thing. It was more like I need to read as much fantasy as possible and like understand where this fits in, you know, with within the fantasy genre in general. And like, I was very analytical in the way that I was approaching the material. And then also like I was trying to teach myself how to write fantasy Uh, Because when I was at LSU, there was a lot of pushback from the faculty of trying to be a genre writer. They wanted like prestigious kind of literary type people, not genre writers. And so there wasn't much help in like, how do I do this? So I was trying to reverse engineer stories. um, And actually, like, because Pullman's work is so kind of tight and just well-conceived and and has beautiful prose and is so good, it was actually not very useful to me uh, in terms of reverse engineering it because there was no way for me to be like, wait, this part's wrong. How would I fix it? Which was <laughs> the main way that I was teaching myself how to write. So I only read the series, the trilogy once, and I've never gone back to uh, any of the additional materials or anything. So I did, you know, I thought they were great, but it just wasn't useful for what I was trying to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a interesting, like a completely different place to come at the books from 
where I've always come at them. So I like that we have different points of view. Uh, Anya? Uh, So I encountered these books when I was a bit younger than Alan. I want to say like middle school approximately. Um, And if I recall, I think I was like listening to them as audiobooks on road trips with my friend and her parents. And yeah, I just remember being super into them. and, And I read them at a time when I was, you know, old enough to appreciate them, but still young enough to really have a foot kind of in the actual land of make-believe. Like I remember, you know, imagining about what it would be like to have a demon and all of that. Um, And I do, I, (laughs) I also remember at some point finding out that these books were like a classic text for, uh, you know, like, arguing kind of like against religion and for atheism and being super surprised to hear that. So I think a lot of those themes really went over my head uh, when I was reading them at that time. And like Alan, I also have never revisited them aside from that uh, recent movie that a lot of people pretend doesn't exist. Including everyone here. (laughs) I think it would be... I did see the movie. I should have mentioned that. I think it would be fun to do a bonus episode about it at some point. Like, we'll have to get really drunk. <laughs> That's fair. I, for some reason, when it came out on DVD, I, like, I saw it in theaters and hated it. And then I bought it. So I, I oh, have wow. it. But I've never, I've never watched it. I just, I just have it. It's just on my shelf. <laughs> I think I had some idea that maybe if it made money, they would make the second one and it would be better. I see. So you were just like so trying I just to was like, Yeah. But um Oh man. It's not- I remember <laughs> the days that were like that. We're like, I don't like this fantasy thing, but I need to go to it so they make more fantasy stuff. Yeah. Uh not a problem these so- days, at least. I'm I'm relatively sure it is still in its packaging, and I bought it like the year it came out on DVD in like 2008 or whatever that was. That's funny. Um, so I first read the books in high school. I was still in Toronto, so like grade nine or ten. And I read the first two books were in our school library, and a friend of mine, she sort of shoved them on me, and that was great. I appreciate her. And then the third one had just come out. And it was only in like one bookstore that I knew how to get to. So I just skipped school the next day and went to go get it and then spent the day reading it. Because there that's, you go. that's the type of thing I skipped class for. Yeah. Also just like in that's general, because class sucked. I used so, to get sent down to the office for reading books in class. Me too. Oh my God. Like, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like for some reason we're all on this podcast together because we did the same fucking thing as kids. Yeah, it's like I, uh, the nerdiest shit to get in trouble for. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I ever got like, like detention or sent to the office or anything. But I definitely spent all of a class in grade eleven. Like between grades ten and grade eleven, I moved across the country. So this grade eleven class in this province, I had just done in grade ten in that other province that I lived in. Uh. Like, so, and it was super boring the first time. So that was the class in which I read uh, the seven books of Robert Jordan series that I read before I gave up on him. And then I almost failed that class, (laughs) which I needed to graduate. 
I definitely got in trouble in elementary school for like trying to secretly lap read while we were supposed to be doing other stuff. I didn't even make a secret of it. I just did it on my desk. Sometimes I got some looks from my teacher, but he was also like the worst teacher ever. (laughs) But that's it. Yeah, that's what I got sent to the office for was reading Jordan. But I was done with my work. Like I had already read the chapter and answered all the questions. And Uh, then she was like, why aren't you doing your work? And I held it up. I was like, I'm done. And she's like, I don't like you reading them books. And then I was like, you're a teacher. (laughs) You what are you saying? So Canada and America could use some better schooling systems. (laughs) Anyways, um, moving on back to his dark materials. Uh, How how do we feel about Philip Pullman as like a, a human person and as an author? Have or like we wanted to address Philip Pullman as a human person. Yeah, just because a lot of prominent sci-fi fantasy creators have gotten in trouble for having less than great politics recently. Um, and Philip Pullman has his own minor scandal. We just kind of wanted to get this out of the way in the first episode. Philip Pullman made some problematic tweets about trans rights. I mean, on the scale of problematicness, they weren't horrible, but they just like demonstrated a clear ignorance of uh, how shitty turfs are and how seriously we should take them. Uh, and I think he quickly realized that he was in over his head and then just kind of like quit without um, trying to properly make amends or demonstrate that he had learned something. So yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, for the most part, I think we tr- we're we gonna try and separate the author from the work itself. Uh, there's this whole philosophy called death of the author, which is basically that the work should speak for itself. And yeah, that like whatever the the person says after the fact about you know what they intended for this character how gay they were supposed to be etc cetera, etc cetera. you can take all that with a huge grain of salt if you don't see it actually represented in the text and i think that's pretty much where we land on that i mean i think obviously like sometimes authors can say things about their works that change the way you see it and and help you read into it but the work should stand on its own and, and like, you know, we don't necessarily want to support people financially who are hugely problematic, but obviously there are a ton of people involved in creating this TV show that are not just Philip Pullman. And this work is pretty important as like a, a big prominent work in sci-fi fantasy. So that's that. When we were discussing this beforehand, I was glad you brought it up because there was a bit, I was just rereading the books recently And there is a bit in the book that I wanted to talk about where I thought he sort of came out in support of trans people. And I'd completely forgotten that this happened. Oh, yeah. So then it puts this whole different spin on this bit in the book that I was really excited to talk about. So, yeah, I I don't even know what he was doing there now. (laughs) Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting um, to talk about this book that was written and published in the, the like mid to late 90s in the. I think it was 1995 is when it was published. So probably written leading up to that. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to 
be really interesting to take this, you know, to take a look at the world building of this book that was, you know, first written and published in the mid nineties. The book came out in 1995 and, and see kind of like how that world building philosophy and what it says about gender and sexuality fits into where we are now in 2019. Yeah. Especially since like people still think this book is very controversial like more than 20 years later, maybe not this book in particular, but the series Mm -hmm. overall. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Yeah. I I don't know if you could compare the things that, you know, and like you said, the article will be in the show notes so people can look for themselves. I don't know if you could directly compare the things that he was saying uh, to TERFs uh, necessarily, but just like basically just questioning, like, I don't understand this whole trans thing. Uh, and it, it was I mean, like, it's not, you, uh, it's a matter of privilege basically if, on his part. Like he just kind of doesn't understand, you know, like gender identity and like, why would anybody care about that? So I don't think that he is like coming out and being like, you know, you shouldn't have these rights, blah, blah, blah. He was more like, what even is this? I don't get uh, it. Why does anybody care I mean, I think it's a little this? more extreme than that. He was kind of like. Well, I've read a bunch of stuff about being gender critical and also about trans rights, and they seem pretty equivalent to me. Like, how do you distinguish between these two equally valid arguments? Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, that is, I don't think he's dog whistling there. That's not like turf stuff. Oh, no, no, no. I don't don't think he was a colonizer, blah, blah, blah. For turf stuff. Like, he wasn't being a proponent of that specifically, but I think he was saying that, like, it was a valid choice. And he was being sympathetic. So I just mean for for people who have no idea what we're talking about, I don't want them to come away from the podcast thinking uh, that Pullman is a turf. He's He's not not. at all. He's just a a clueless old Englishman who is like, huh, what is this? And you can like go read the article and you can figure it out. But yeah, I think we are interested in Pullman's take on the book in some ways because the book was inspired um, by other fantasy works that he wanted to engage with critically through the book. And so we are very interested in this podcast, or at least I am, in kind of looking at those texts and comparing them to this text and like seeing what he's doing there and how he's making a commentary on the rest of fantasy and stuff like that. So like, I'm interested in the way that you know, he has talked about what his uh, aims were like on a meta level, not necessarily like in the world building and stuff, but like where these books sit in the fantasy kind of canon, mm-hmm. if you will. So I think that's yeah. important. And if we're going to talk about kind of like our different angles into us, I think another aspect that we're really interested in is just um, like different approaches to adaptation. Right. Cause uh Alan, like the other podcasts that you and I have together um, without Kate uh, or one of them is covering the TV show American Gods, which is also like a a sci-fi fantasy book from the late 90s that just got reinterpreted as a TV show. uh, And, you know, a lot of changes and adaptive choices have been made, some of which we really, really liked and, and some of which we thought were less successful. Uh, and so I think it's going to be interesting to s- see what they do here. Yeah, definitely. I guess this leads us right into our trailer discussion, since 
We're just talking about yeah. the differences that they made. And before we talk about it, I did want to mention when I first watched the trailer, I guess uh, to start off our discussion about it, I wanted to mention when I first watched the trailer, I was really unhappy about a couple of things that they changed. But then, Alan, you said that, you know, if they didn't make changes, what was even the point of making an adaptation? We could just read the book. And I felt a lot right. better about things after that. So, <laughs> oh, good. So sometimes I can be a little bit of a snobby book purist and I need somebody to ground me. <laughs> Excellent. I feel like I'm the opposite of that. <laughs> good. I, yeah, I, I'm usually not interested in the adaptation if it's like, very like I kind of bounced off Outlander for that reason. I was like, oh boy, I remember every single second of this. <laughs> Is it ever going to deviate? Oh my God. So I couldn't handle that. I guess that's fair because a lot of the movies and TV shows that are like word for word adaptations are really boring because they don't, because good books don't make good movies. If you do them yeah. word for word, you do have to adapt. Yeah. Them. Each, each medium has their own strength for like the different, things that they can reveal about the characters and and everything. I'm most of the things that I was actually upset about was the changes that we see in Lord Asriel uh, as mm. played by James McAvoy and because he just seems so much more approachable and like he had a closer relationship with Lyra mm -hmm. and like that bit where she's kind of yelling at him like Lord Asriel in the books would never have stood for that. Right. That's true. Yeah. I was happy to see James McAvoy with like kind of a goatee thing going on because like when I heard they were casting him, I was like, mm, some beta male energy there on the super alpha male character. And I was like, that goatee is fixing some of that situation for me. <laughs> uh, Maybe that's why I'm also kind of bouncing off James McAvoy's Lord Asriel. He's just not he's just not how I picture him at all. Like, I'm very interested to see what he does with the role. But he doesn't seem like the stern. <sighs> Lord Asriel is a very interesting character with his because he is so like standoffish and he makes some very interesting decisions. But he's kind of, quote unquote, on the right side. Maybe right, right, right. I think, he, but he does some real shit things. He's also kind of like a, a certain old school British archetype, I feel that maybe is like yeah. slightly less relevant 20 years later. Maybe that's one of the reasons why they changed it. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I always felt like it was a commentary on that. But I guess we'll, yeah. We'll like, get I into that. We'll see. But yeah. yeah, I like how you put the the beta male energy from James McAvoy. Because that's that I is mean, yeah. what I'm also getting from him. And it is just very different from what I get from Lord Ezreal in the book. Yeah, James McAvoy is just so emotive. Like, I love him. I'm not, that is not a criticism of him. I think that he's really good, but like, he's very emotional, right? He's very like big in his feelings. And that is like, <laughs> that is not some Lord Asriel energy. It's like, you know, he is like a, a stone that it kind of exudes gravity and like danger. <laughs> um, yeah. You don't like, you don't sense interiority from him other than like, maybe rage and extreme focus. So I, I was surprised, but I like what's in the trailer. I really like him talking about like, we're doing this for truth and we're doing it for like, that's interesting to me. Like that feels political. That mm -hmm. feels like some kind of commentary. And I'm like, Ooh, yeah. Okay. All right. I see what you're doing here. Maybe that's what they did. They've changed it to make it a more relevant to current commentary mm -hmm. than because I can see where the 
themes of this book where in the books is very much a commentary on organized religion. If you just tweaked a couple things is also very much a commentary on totalitarian government, which is not something mm-hmm. we know anything about currently. Obviously. Oh no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's interesting too. How, sorry, just going back to the American gods comparison. Um, not that the story was irrelevant when Neil Gaiman wrote it, but it, you know, coming out right as Trump was getting elected and taking office, you know, it kind of like took on a, a very different role. And I think uh, the creators like explicitly intended it to be a pointed commentary on like where we are politically today. And so I wonder if we'll see any of that from this adaptation as well. It's also just like a safer road to take political commentary versus fuck organized religion. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's still, I hope, I hope it does criticize Christianity. I hope it continues to do that. I think that's an important thing that the story does. Uh, I also hope they don't take it all out because that's sort of the whole story. Right. Yeah. 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 The further you get in, I don't know how you could, how far away you can get away from that story without telling a very different story. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, okay, back so, to the, back to the trailer because we've gotten a little. Do you want to talk about hair a little color? Off track here, because Lyra's not blonde, <laughs> like she should be. I mean, fine, it's fine. Is she blonde in the book? Yes, one hundred percent. She's super blonde. It's fine. Okay, I'm happy okay. with it. See, this is my book, pure shit. It doesn't matter one like, it comes into play in one small little line in the book, and other than that, doesn't matter at all. But there's still a part of me that's like. She's supposed to be fucking blonde. Oh, no, I, I get it. Yeah, I understand that. That is the kind of thing that like, and she was in the movie, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Totally. I, everybody yeah. was. Blonde. That was that's like the one thing that I've kind of heard about people's take on the trailer was that everybody in the movie was blonde and everyone in the TV show is brunette. So they're clearly just like wanting to draw a big visual contrast and be like, this is not that thing. <laughs> I think visually, too, there's like the the whole thing is like this very art deco look uh to it instead of like a steampunk kind of aesthetic which i actually really like the art deco thing i think that's a cool choice like it i like the orderliness of it it's like all squares and rectangles and like that feels like the magisterium to me uh from the books it does definitely feel like more like a lived in world while the movie is just looked the movie just looked shiny right um, do you want to talk about how much they're shoving Lin-Manuel Miranda down our throats? <laughs> like, not to, I love Lin-Man, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I love him, I do. But Lee Scorsby is a very small part in this book. So I love how much they're just like, look who we got. We got him. It's cool. Look, we've, we put in a bit where he sings. <laughs> it's great. Which isn't in the trailer, but they, uh, Lin-Manuel talked about that in an interview afterwards where his first season scene is singing a duet with his demon in his his balloon and i'm really excited for it but i'm also like ah i see they're trying to get the kids do they let him write his own song the kids oh that'd be I, how could I you mean, not right. yeah i hope so it seems why do you hire lin-manuel miranda to sing someone else's song i just i love that lin-manuel i'm pretty sure he's just such a big fan of the books i think he basically right. called him up was like i will do anything just put me in this so that's the cool thing about yeah. it. He loves fantasy. It's so fun to have him 
jump in there because he like he jumped in on Star Wars, like when he got the call from J.J. Uh, Abrams. And mm-hmm. he's a fundamental part of the adaptation of um, Maybe the, the King Killer Chronicles yeah. that they're making. He's like a producer on that, isn't okay, he? You know, we're going to have to cover yeah, that, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's yeah. Whenever that comes out, it's not going to be an adaptation of the books. It's going to take place before oh, the books. Oh. But um, he's writing all the music and stuff, which music in those stories is like fundamental. Yeah. So. I love that he loves fantasy. That's so cool to have like a creator of that caliber just show up and be like, do whatever you want with me. I'm into it. Like, that's fun. I I do love that about him, how he's such like a normal dude. (laughs) I mean, I kind of hate it about him because he's like, he's a million times cooler than I'm ever going to fucking be. It's like, all right, Mr. Talented (laughs) handsomeness. But at the same time, I'm like, it's cool. You're awesome. (laughs) And then we've got... Daphne Keene as Lyra, who... She seems great. Yeah, she's amazing. I, I don't have any... I mean, other than her lack of blonde hair, <laughs> I don't have anything <laughs> bad to say about her. I mean, child actors can be really hit or miss. And, and from what I could see from the trailer, she seems just, like, very, very solid, which is awesome, because you, you need someone who can really carry the weight of the story. And, and she was great in... Logan? Is that what that movie was oh called? Oh my god, you're right! Yeah, Logan. I know I was supposed to read the mm-hmm. IMDb pages before this, but yes, I did not do that, and she was fucking amazing in Logan. Yeah. I completely forgot. So, Yep, she's X-23 in the in that story. She's very cool. She's a, She did a great job in that. And it looks like everything in the trailer looks like she's doing great. I'm sure they wouldn't have gone for a season two if it was like you know this girl's just not working out i'm like i i have every confidence that they made the right choice Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah and she she, i don't have anything bad to say about her i mean i'm joking about the blonde hair so (laughs) let's see how many times i can bring it up though i wonder i wonder if they didn't make lyra blonde just because they like you know wig tested her and they were like "Mm, no we want this actress but she can't pull off the blonde hair so yeah maybe they did and they were uh, you know honestly it was somebody with her coloring she wouldn't look good as a blonde i don't think like it like not as a natural blonde anyways it would have looked weird so i i understand why they did it i just think it's a funny joke to keep harping on about it (laughs) it'd be funnier if she is a natural blonde and they just dyed her hair and they're like (laughs) this will really mess up the book people yep I don't even know why I care so much. There's literally, there is a book where that got a movie made of it. I don't want to say what, because I actually hate that book now. Um, But one of the characters was blonde. And when he was cast as like a black haired person, everybody freaked out about it. And in my mind, when I read the book, I had pictured him as being like a black person. So everybody (laughs) was like, why isn't he blonde? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) That was actually one of the things in the trailer that I noticed and was excited about to see like the master of the college, uh, I think, um, being played by uh, a black man and, you know, to have Lin-Manuel in the story. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, good. England is not like totally white. And um, John Fa is is uh, a black man also. Lucian. Right. Who I have no idea how to say his last name. (laughs) Miss Maddie. Lucian. There's M-S-A-M-A-T-I. I've got no idea. I should have looked that up. I'm so sorry. Lucian Mismati? Sure. I will will look that up for next time. (laughs) And, I mean, this won't be in season one, but they've uh, cast 
Will as uh, an actor of color too, and I was very happy to see that. Yeah, yeah. So they're fitting it in where they can, you know, and which is great. So yeah, I like that they're mixing stuff up there. Mrs. Coulter seemed great. They didn't, you know, she's not in the trailer too much. I like that they're keeping her out of it. Like they're not giving too much about her away though, because she is not my favorite character, obviously, but probably one of the best written characters of all time. Ooh, like she's I don't remember so interesting enough about her, but I'm I'm curious to hear you explain why as we dig into it. I just her her motivations and her how some of her motivations change over the three books, but it's still coming from this place of who she is and that sort of thing is just very interesting to me. So I am um, I I think she's going to do a good job and Again, like, I hate Mrs. Coulter, but I also just love Mrs. Coulter. <laughs> and Philip Pullman has said Mrs. Coulter was his favorite character to write because she will do anything. Yeah, I think you can feel that in the book. Where, like, Azriel is a little bit more removed, you know, in terms of the plot and also emotionally. Mrs. Coulter is, like, a little bit more crunchy and complicated and, like, mm-hmm. yeah. So there should be a lot there for that actress to play with. And she seems great. So I like the look that they have for her. The look for all the characters is like, is really, really great. So I, I really love like all the cinematography and all that stuff. Like it just like gave me a lot of confidence watching the trailer. I was like, Oh, okay. This is very cool. Like the special effects look good. The animals look good. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I have a lot of confidence. Me too. I'm very excited. I did also enjoy that we got, like this really short scene with James Cosmo in which he definitely talked about going north because north is just a thing he can't escape in his career now. Wait, I don't get the joke. Uh, he was the commander of the Night's Watch. Oh. Free Jon Snow. Oh. Okay, yes, yes. So taking young people north is kind of his thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just, I think he is really good in that role. Like that's a good... He's good in everything and putting him in that particular, like who that character is and like kind of the gruffness, but the lovableness and like all the, yeah, is he's like, that's a great bit of casting there. I just thought he was perfect for that. When I looked up who was playing who I like, it kind of surprised me because just the way that things are framed in the trailer, I thought that they had James Cosmo as John Faw. And the man whose name I need to look up how to pronounce, uh, Lucian Mismati, as Farter Quorum. But Wikipedia mm. tells me it's the other way around. So that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Looks-wise, I get that. It was just the way that they had done it in the trailer. I thought it was sweeper rude. I also like that both James Cosmo and James... Oh, they're both named James, too. James McAvoy were in Narnia, which is interesting considering... One of the things that Philip Pullman was doing in this book as a sort of anti-Narnia propaganda. I like it. Who is... Hmm. Yeah, so, okay. So who is he in Narnia? I'm trying to is remember. Is he the fawn? He actually Who's has Cosmo? a Tumnus? Nope. Uh, James McAvoy is, is Mr. Yeah. Tumnus. Oh, you, but oh, James, you mean James Cosmo. Cosmo. Yeah. Yeah, the James thing is going to mess us up. I really just want to give you a stupid hint because his character has the same initials as Farter Quorum. But as uh, you're American, it's probably not going to work because it's definitely Father Christmas. Oh, 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 man. I think I blocked that out, yeah. honestly. <laughs> like, Fair. 
Okay. Yeah. I try to forget that Father Christmas ever happens in those stories. I actually am okay with Narnia, but there are some things in there that I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I love Narnia. So, okay. Okay. Back to the trailer. Um, so Yorick, Yorick Bernison, the armored bear. I get that mm-hmm. he's supposed to be like big and menacing. And in a lot of the scenes, he is that, but mostly he's just really cute. And I want to hug him because he looks fluffy Aww. and, and kind of sad. Don't hug the wild animals, Kate. <laughs> he's not a wild animal. He's like a person. Okay. <laughs> he's just a vicious person. You think they'll person. have plushes? Now that you say that, oh my like, God. they better have some kind of plush, right? I don't know. It's not a Disney property. Oh, that's true. Does the BBC do that? I don't shit? think the BBC does that. I mean, there's a there's a fuck ton of Doctor Who shit, but I don't know if that's done. Yeah, I was gonna say or like licensed to other people. See, the whole thing is like because so Bad Wolf is the studio that like did the actual production on this, and I guess BBC. I don't know if Bad Wolf is associated with the BBC. I'm I'm honestly not sure. I should probably look into that more. So I just presume BBC fronted some money and then HBO got the international rights to it. So they gave them some money too. Uh, and then, yeah. but New Line still owns some of the rights because that's who did the movie. And then I think BBC had part of the rights to adapt it too because they had done, I think they had done some other adaption of it that was maybe on the radio. Oh, um, maybe, maybe. Yeah. International rights are weird. Yeah. Especially nowadays where like media is like globalized and so it gets real tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like a lot of different companies have their. So if this takes off, I'm sure we will get bears, but who knows who gets the money from them. Yeah. Right. I mean, Certainly not Philip Pullman. I don't care. I, I just want to hug him. Right. <laughs> Either way, York needs a hug and there are bits in the book where he gets some hugs. So I hope that happens. Oh, yeah. That better happen. I don't know. I just, as a biologist, like, there are too many news stories of people trying to hug bears in real life anyway. Like, I feel like it just sends the wrong message, but. I'm in favor of those people hugging bears. They should do. There's a lot of people. We don't need all the people. (laughs) It's okay. The problem is I live in a very bear area and they are very cute. And I understand. (laughs) But I've seen a grizzly bear like within 10 yards of me out in the wild, like in the middle of the woods. And I'll tell you, like, I did not want to hug that bear. I just wanted to be anywhere else than, than in the middle of Colorado in the woods with a, with a giant bear. That's uh, fair. We mostly have black bears here and like the brown version of black bears, which aren't grizzlies. They're still just the same type of bear, but they're brown. Which, I mean, sometimes you see them in the wild and your brain doesn't make that connection. You're just like, that's a brown bear. Let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that is what happened to me. I didn't ask the bear. I was just like, oh, my God, this is the end. So like (laughs) someone who sees a bear and goes, oh, I need to hug that. Like, maybe we don't need that person is all I'm saying. Yeah, the problem is once a bear attacks a person, they go shoot the bear regardless of whose fault it was. So Mm, yeah, that's that's true. We didn't see any witches in the trailer. And I'm like, I'm ready Mm. for those witches. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping they're holding that back. It seemed like a lot of the trailer was the early Lord Asriel stuff, Jordan College, which makes sense, right? Yeah, I I do. Because they don't want to like tip their hand. Well, I would also think that they just don't have all yeah. the, the special effects done because the witches are mostly yeah. flying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm, a good point. Mm-hmm. And as 
uh, Anya and I can attest, the Bad Wolf just did a show with a lot of with a good amount of flying in it, and it looked real bad. So yeah. I hope they put some effort into yeah, that. Maybe it is done, and they just don't want to show it in the trailer. Yeah, that's, that's funny. which 100% fair. I get that it's hard, but please throw throw all of HBO's money at that. Please, I don't care. I don't remember that being very good in the movie either. Now that you say that. I thought they were okay in the movie, but they didn't look good flying. Yeah, I hope they get that right. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. So that was Bad Wolf 2, huh? Yep. Well, I feel like you should say the name of the show because you didn't actually... Oh, I'm talking about... uh, Anya and I did a podcast together on the uh, Bad Wolf's TV show adaptation of... Oh my God, uh, Discovery of Witches. And Mm -hmm. the flying in that looked horrible. I, I can't even, I that I really love that show, and it was so bad. Yeah, like, the acting, the writing, the do. costuming, like, so much about that show is amazing, and then the special effects are just pretty hit or miss. I, uh, yeah, I think they had a pretty small budget, though, so I hope this show gets, uh, with the HBO money, right? They gotta have something. Yeah, and plus, now, now maybe they have some practice, or, yeah. Because this trailer, I think the trailer looks really good. Oh, Anytime yeah. any of the animals are on screen, they look uh, real nice. They do. I'm so I'm very happy fun. with how they've done the demons and, and York. I just hope they haven't mm-hmm. spent all their money there. Right. Yeah. Which true. is possible. They, which actually is a good decision to make yeah. if that is the decision they've made. I mean, because the like, demons much are rather... actual characters. Like, if they don't work, yeah. then the show doesn't work. Yeah. Like, I mm-hmm. can 100% get over some bad looking flying. So... That's fair. So for our next episode, we will be discussing chapters one to four of the first book, Golden Compass slash Northern Lights. While we go through the books, we're going to be keeping our discussion spoiler free. And we're just going to be talking about the chapters as they are. And then when we get into the television show discussions, we're going to keep our main talk spoiler free and then have spoiler sections at the end of every episode so we can better discuss the adaptation. Um, But we'll keep all the book discussions safe for everyone who's just wanting to read the first book before the tv show and that episode will be posting on september 9th so if this is your first time listening to us and you'd like to uh find out more about us or uh hear us talk about other things uh alan and i are over at hallowed ground media we have two podcasts there uh we have the one that I was uh, referencing earlier, where we discussed the stars TV show American Gods, uh, that show is called Shadows and Shamblers. And then we also have another show called Hallowed Ground Storycast, which is basically just Alan and me going back and forth, uh, making us watch each other's favorite things, and then we talk about them. Uh, and we kind of came up with that show after the first season of American Gods ended, and we were like, hey, we still want to do this. Um, and also, the only thing we ha- know about uh, each other's taste in media is basically American Dodds and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, since we met basically on the the forums for a Buffy podcast. Uh, yeah, so if you're interested, uh, you can find our shows wherever uh, you listen to podcasts. And I'm on Twitter at Strangely Literal. Or uh, you can find our website, www.hallowedgroundmedia.com. You can find me discussing Lord of the Rings. Uh, well, at So You Want to Read Tolkien, where me and two friends go through all of Tolkien's main body of works and discuss them in a way that's welcoming to people who don't necessarily want to read the books, but want to know 
all the information that is in them. It's a very fun podcast to listen to. I'm a big fan of it. Been there since the first episode and listened to every single one. I so it's basically geared towards right. people like me who kind of fell asleep halfway through The Hobbit, but understand that it's like a really important text that I should probably know more about. We, d- we don't approach it as important text. We approach it as... Okay. I mean, well, we approach it as a text that we highly enjoy. And because there's a lot of podcasts out there that do approach it as important and serious. And so we're coming from like, we think that sure, but not everyone does. And also, I think we're the only one that is a wholly female cast on the podcast. Everybody else is mm-hmm. men or like two men and one woman. And you can find me on Twitter at inferior Caitlin and Caitlin is spelled correctly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we will see you uh, for our next episode, September 9th, uh, chapters 1 to 4 of The Golden Compass. Until next time, I'm Anya. I've been Alan. And I'm Caitlin. And remember to hug all the cute bears in your life.